The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by survivor, turned award-winning author, speaker, and certified master coach, Sue Bowl. Sue is the founder of the organization My Step Ahead, and this organization focuses on talking about the stigma around mental health struggles and preventing the stigma around mental health struggles. So we're going to hear from Sue about her story and why she founded the organization and how it is helping others and get rid of the stigma. So Sue, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Curtis. I'm looking forward to this. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, you mean going to my story or just the, the more general stuff? We can start with the more general stuff and then we'll hit up your story. That sounds great. Well, I am, like, like Curtis said, my name is Sue. I am a master certified life coach and I, uh, I help stuck people get unstuck. Uh, oftentimes in our lives, we are trying to get somewhere and we maybe we don't know how to get there or we're not sure we can get there. And I have the privilege privilege of coming alongside people and helping them realize that they can get there. They already have the tools to get there, and we just get to get to watch watch the watch the dream become reality together. Um, I live in Ohio. I was uh, my mom's caregiver until she passed away about 17 months ago, October 2020. And uh, that was yeah. We've we've come a long way through the grief journey with that. That is a uh, nothing for the faint of heart, uh, but. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm excited to to uh, to bring some value to your listeners and and help them on their journeys as they uh, live the dream with Curveball. Well, tell us about your story. Start getting into it. Something happened in first grade, and tell us about what started you on this journey and wanting to help other people with mental health stigmas. Sure. And before I get into it, let me just give a quick trigger warning because what I'm about to share has to do with sexual assault. It has to do with being suicidal and eating disorders and a lot of trauma. So if anything like that is a potential trigger for your listeners, I really want to let them know this is coming. Have them you know, take a break, have a self-care plan in place. And if that means you need to come back to the podcast a little later, we understand and we encourage and support that as well. I never want my story to do harm to somebody else. Having said that, um, when I was in first grade, a classmate of mine enticed me into some woods on the school property after school one day. And he held me against my will for 45 minutes. And um, Bobby's last words to, to me were, don't tell anybody. And I didn't realize that he had just sentenced me to prison. And I say that because it became a 15 year secret. I didn't tell anyone until my senior year of college. So 
easily 15 years after the event, over a decade. This is in the early 70s. Rape was not on the radar. It wasn't something to be discussed. It wasn't something being discussed. And, and no, you know, it was it was safe to walk to school. Everybody in the neighborhood walked to school. So the only person who did anything wrong that day was Bobby. But it took a really long time for me to be able to say that. And even a little longer until I could really believe that and say it with say it with conviction. As a result of that, my emotions became frozen in time that day. And and, and the way I phrase it is that the longer you're in the freezer, the thicker the ice gets. Think of think of something you have in the back in the back corner of your freezer. And when you finally get to cleaning out the freezer, by the time you get to the back of it, you know, the, the frost on that thing is at least an inch thick. That was what happens my emotions, because I didn't know what had just happened. And I didn't know how to say anything. And because it wasn't on the radar, no one knew to ask anything. So I became frozen that day. That led to a whole host of issues between that time and college. There were other sexual assaults from a neighborhood kid as I was growing up. The, you know, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. So we didn't know how to talk about our emotions. So have that added to it. But the, the biggest part is that my trauma happened when I was seven years old. And, and that's the age where you know, they call it the age of reason, where your mind is really starting to develop and you're able to start telling right from wrong. And, and it's, it's scientifically proven that trauma rewires your brain. So I didn't have a chance to be a child. I didn't have a chance to be a little girl and just have fun and enjoy life. Because from that moment in time, I became frozen. And, and I lived in a constant state of survival. And I learned to protect myself. So that protection, unfortunately, unfortunately meant I shut down my emotions. By the time I got into college and high school, obviously you're a teenager, you have a lot of stuff going on. So again, I already have all this shaky foundation going into high school. And then I leave and get, get into college. And by then, you know, the ice is really thick. So over time, because my brain was not operating well, it was not processing things correctly either. So I think it might have been junior year. I'm not sure which year it was. But I remember being in the cafeteria and I would have enjoyed another serving of food. I had painted the, the picture. I had worn a mask on campus to show everybody, to make everybody believe I'm somebody, I was somebody I'm not. I wanted them to believe that Sue was the strong one. Sue had it together. Sue had no needs. Sue was the one you could go to when you needed something. So because of that, I feared that if I went up to get more food, I would be found out and that everybody, and I'll notice all these generalities, found out everybody, and that everybody would know that Sue had a need and my cover would be blown and I didn't want to get found out. So instead, I, because that environment got uncomfortable for me, I learned to shut off my hunger. I dumped my tray and I got out of Dodge and I learned to snack. And I snacked to curb my hunger. I, in essence, developed an eating disorder. And I wouldn't even own that eating disorder for another number of decades. And I didn't even go into recovery from my eating disorder until 2016. So it's only been six years, five and a half, six years. July, July 2022 will be six years. So I, I, I had 
I use the word I was unstable. I, I, I was not well mentally. I was not well emotionally because I didn't know how to process things. Because I didn't know how to process things or express things, I stuffed everything. I became angry. I be, it, became, it came out through other ways. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And unless you deal with what's going on inside, it will come out in, from your, in your body in different ways. One of the ways I was very prone to accidents very prone to accidents. And then you have the eating disorder and just all these things. I had, I, I got my worth in college by being seen. So I got over-involved because if I was involved, that means I was seen. And if I was seen, I had value. And if I had value, I mattered. And it, then as I've learned since, activity became my number because if I stayed busy, I didn't have to think. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. So like I said, I was, I was, not, I was not emotionally well. So by the time, you know, I get in, once in high school and then even after graduate school, um, I, I came to a couple points in time where I was about ready to take my life. I did not attempt, but I, I was to that point where I felt that desperate, that um, that dark. And it's been quite the journey since my healing journey really only started in 2014. So I'm going on eight years now. But it has been such a joy over these last eight years to see things happen in my life that I never thought would happen, that I thought were always out of reach. It was good enough for everybody else, but not for me. And now it, it's my life. So because of that, because of the journey I've been on, because I've unfortunately had so many experiences, traumatic experiences, that how that has become good or good has come from it is that I can now relate to a wide range of audiences and so that I can speak into their lives and be a voice of hope to them that whatever it is they're going through I'm not going to know because I'm not them, but I certainly can relate and I certainly can support them. So because of that, I started my step ahead. The, 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 the phrase is you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you, because oftentimes when we are struggling, we feel we don't have anything to offer or I don't have it, quote unquote, all together. How can I help someone else when I'm still struggling? And my step ahead exists to be that voice of hope, to help people see and start to believe that they have something to offer right now, no matter what is going on in their lives, they are a step ahead of somebody else. And they can use that knowledge to reach out, help the person behind them while still reaching out ahead of them for help. So that's, that's, the, that's, uh, that's what we're all about. Well, talk about what, what was the pivotal point in your healing journey? The pivotal point, I would say the pivot point started in 25, 2005, 2005. I lost a friend to cancer. 2008, I was grieving her like yesterday. And a lot of my red flags for my eating disorder were starting to come up. So I reached out to my pastor. He connected me with a counselor that he had, he had, come in contact with who actually specializes in eating disorders. And I started working with Amanda and for a while there, 
we spent a number of years just getting me stronger in the present because as she said, my eating disorder was kicking up just from a bunch of unresolved issues. But because I had so many boundary issues, because I didn't know how to have relationships. So we had to get me stronger in the present before we could go deal with the past. The, that was the, 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 the base foundation. 2014 is where things started to turn. There was a movie that came out about uh, the late Christian musician, Rich Mullins, and he was killed in a car wreck in 1997. The movie was called Ragamuffin. And it was a tough watch because it hit so many chords for me. For the first 20 minutes or so, I, I was really struggling to watch and not start, not cry where I would be seen and be noticed that I was crying. Later in that year, they, the movie producer and the family and friends of Rich who were involved in the movie uh, had a retreat to continue the conversations about you know, the themes of the movie, one of which was masks and being authentic. So obviously that struck a chord. I had just started dealing with the rape earlier that year with my counselor, still with the same one I was with. So over four decades since an event, I'm starting to deal with it. But again, you have all those other things piled on top of it. So it took a lot of digging to get to the point that we could finally deal with it. So I went to this retreat and, and what really hit me going into it. So my brother had to serve 18 months for a drunk driving accident. And when he got out, um, he came home and his friends were like, I haven't seen you for a long time. Where have you been? And he boldly said in prison. And that really hit me because if anyone had a reason to be ashamed of their story, to hide their story, to put on a mask, it would be him. And when my brother was able to be that authentic and genuine and vulnerable with people and, and own his story and own his stuff, that really convicted me. So I looked at my counselor and said, I'm going to this retreat, get me ready. And we spent six weeks getting me ready for this, dealing with my anxiety, talking about being authentic and all those things. I went into the retreat, considering myself the holy exception, because we had um, started dealing with the rape earlier this year, I was imploding again. I was not doing well emotionally. And I'm a Christian. So I went into the retreat calling myself the holy exception, meaning that I had believed the lie that everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me, that I was too screwed up, too far gone, and I was a waste of space. And it was kind of a, kind of a staff member said, it's kind of like, a, it was a kind of a Hail Mary for me of, could I really be lovable? And could other people genuinely love me and not want, want, not want something from me? By the time the retreat was over, I left there saying and starting to believe for the first time that Jesus Christ loves me. And he not only loves me, he likes me. And there's a big difference there. And, it, and he's absolutely head over heels in love with me. That is what started changing things. I had owned my story that first year. Up to then, I was in denial about my story. I hated my story. I didn't like my story. I didn't want to have to deal with it. And I had to own it. The next year I went back to retreat and that's where I had to grieve my story. There is a lot of loss in my story that I hadn't realized. And I had, I had to get to what I call a sacred moment of release where I finally just let it go. All the tears that I was afraid I would cry and never stop. 
I cried and I cried them really hard for about 10 or 15 minutes, but they stopped. And then the third year back at retreat there is where things really started to change for me when I dared to believe that I matter, that I am valuable to God. That's when things started to turn for me. So it's, you know, it had a base foundation in 2005, 2008, and then the building blocks started in 2014 to get me where I am today. So tell us about writing your book and what that was like and what your book is about and what listeners can expect when they check it out. Oh, wow. The book, the book was uh, therapy. The book was cathartic and the book was, uh, it ended up being something I didn't know it was going to be. It started out with the book is called this much. I know the space between. And if your listeners are, if you have anybody watching on the video, that's what the cover looks like. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. And it started out just wanting to share lessons I've learned in life. The, the, the idea was at the end of each chapter, you know, share some stories, what the lesson was at the end of each chapter, say this much I know and kind of share the, share the, 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 uh, the lesson, so to speak, what I'd learned as I started to heal the book took on a different format and it basically started becoming my story. The first half of the book is my story. This much I know. All of us have our stories. That's the one thing no one can ever take from us, no matter what is our story. So this much I know is my story. I share a lot about my background, some of the things I experienced, not in a lot of detail, but enough to help the listener understand. Um, and a lot of the, about the, the influential people in my life. I, excuse me, I share about the day that I, I told somebody about the rape for the first time my senior year of college. I talked about going to graduate school, meeting my counselor. I talked about retreat. The second half of the book, The Space Between, talks about the healing journey. We all have woundedness in our lives. We have all been hurt. Think of when, when you cut your arm, okay? Or your finger, you're slicing something up for dinner, you slice your finger. You have a wound and it's bleeding and it needs attention. If you don't give it proper attention, it will get infected. If you just try to put something on it and hope it goes away and you actually need about five stitches, it's not going to go away. Try as you may to cover it up. It's still going to be bleeding underneath. The same way with our emotional wounds is that we have wounds. They need to be, they need attention so they can heal properly. When those wounds get that proper attention, when they are able to start healing, those wounds become scars that tell a story. And those stories becomes, can become pillars of hope for other people. So the second half of the book, The Space Between, talks about that healing journey from going from having my bleeding wounds to watching them become scars that tell a story. And, and it, it's been a privilege to, to, share, to share the book. Uh, I've gotten some really, some really fantastic feedback. Uh, some people have, have written and said they didn't realize that they had issues did the book cast light on their on some things that they that they didn't realize they needed to deal with? Other people have said that it gave them permission to not be okay and to start looking at their things that maybe they've tried to sweep under the rug. And other people have simply said, "Thank you for encouraging me." So it, it's been it's been a joy 
to be able to share that, share that with other people. Um, the book won second place nonfiction in a book festival in 2020. So that was very encouraging and it's self-published. So to have my first book self-published win an award, um, that, that, that was very encouraging for me because, you know, I, I want my story to be that voice of hope for other people so that what I went through, uh, not only what I went through, but what, what it took to heal can, can help maybe be, be a roadmark and be a roadmap for other people as well. So tell us about any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about. Oh my, there's a lot. Uh, I, I, obviously I do a lot of podcasts. I've done, done over a hundred podcasts in just two years. So that definitely keeps me busy on that circuit. I uh, have a couple of conferences where I'll be presenting at and, 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 you know, speaking at, um, I am a keynote speaker. So a lot of things with that regard, I am starting book number two and working on it. Uh, book number, the, the, this much I know series is actually going to be a three-part series and I've got the concepts and working titles for each one. This was the first one. The second one is going to follow up. This one up is going to be this much. I know it's okay to not be okay. Because right now, especially with the pandemic and mental health issues coming to the forefront with eating disorders, with mental health in general, you have so many professional athletes and, and, and high visibility, you know, uh, celeb- not only these celebrities, but people with, with high visibility who are coming up and sh- out and sharing their vulnerable, the, their vulnerabilities, their realness, their genuineness about the struggles they have. That is, is making the conversation easier. You know, we talked earlier about wanting to break the stigma around mental health, and we do that by making it a part of the everyday conversation. So the more we can talk about it, the more, the, the more it becomes just a normal part as commonplaces talking about someone you know, who's an AA or a recovering drug addict or taking Tylenol for a headache. <clears throat> so the second book is going to be this much I know it's okay to not be okay to talk more about that, talk more about the masks we wear, why we feel we have to keep up with the Joneses. Where do we get this whole comparison thing from about feeling comfortable in our own skin? So that one, um, I'm hoping it's, it's taken longer than I had hoped. So right now I'm hoping it's going to be out in first quarter, 2023 is my new goal for that one. And then I've got another one behind that one. Um, and then I actually, ha- actually have an idea for a fourth one too. So I have a lot of ideas in the head. They just haven't got all the words haven't gotten from my head to a piece of paper. Well, go ahead and throw out your contact information, website, social media links. That way, when you get those ideas out of your head, people can connect with you and uh, check out what you're doing. Sure. The best place to reach me is at suebowls.com. Again, I, I'm a master certified life coach. So if there's something that you know, you'd like some coaching on, I can talk about that here in a minute. Yeah, I can certainly help you with that as well. You can reach me there. Uh, social media, there's Sue Bowles Coaching on Facebook. Everything else is under My Step Ahead. That's the business name. And, and, and that, that's, that's, the over, that's the umbrella under which everything happens. So there's my step ahead on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So it's a little bit of everywhere. Um, you know, when I talk about the life coaching, um, there's a difference between counseling and coaching. So I'm a master certified life coach. That means I have advanced training in helping coach people. Counseling helps you deal with things from the past to bring you to the present so that those, those, those things in the past don't, don't affect you negatively anymore. 
Coaching takes you at the present and helps you get where you want to go for the future. So it is two different things. I want to kind of be clear about that. So what I do as a life coach is I work with people. I've worked with people with relationship struggles, career changes, time management, anxiety, just general communication skills, um, just all kinds of of different issues are what I'm able to coach people with. So if there's something that someone's struggling with, or maybe you're, you're going through something right now and you just want some extra help, they can reach me through my website there as well. We can get started on that. I also have a, 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 a mailing list and it has a, a newsletter, but then also I have via text on Wednesdays, I send out what I call hump day help. And it's just a short text of encouragement. So if they go to my website, they can sign up for it there. And if they sign up for it, I have a free PDF I will send them. And it's basically some thoughts about how to be unstoppable. Because if you think about it, when we want to live the dream, there's usually obstacles getting in the way. And those obstacles can make us feel like we're not going to get where we're going to go. Something is a roadblock. It's a stoppage point. And I want to just give some tips and some thoughts of, of, of ways that we can be unstoppable to change that mindset so that we can go over the roadblocks and not get stopped by them. So they can sign up for that on my website as well. And then I'll, I'll get them, add them to the list and get that PDF out to them. What we'll close us out with this final question. What would you say to somebody that's struggling to come to grips with their story, just as you mm. were in the beginning? Mm. Great question. And I was, it, it sounds simple. The words I will say are simple, but they aren't to live. And it's, it's this dare to believe that you matter when we are struggling At some point in time, someone is whispering to us, you don't matter. No one cares. Why would anybody want to listen to you? All of those have the foundation of believing the lie that we don't matter. Dare to believe that you matter. When you are dared to do something, you are being challenged to do something outside of your comfort zone. Doesn't mean you're going to feel it but you can operate in that and act on it. I would challenge you to dare to believe that you matter. And if you're having struggles with that, reach out to me, please go to my website, suebowles.com, B-O-W-L-E-S, suebowles.com, reach out to me so we can talk because I believe in you. I believe you matter. And it would be my privilege to help you see that for help you see that for yourself as we talk through things and you start taking those steps that you feel like you can't take. Because as you start taking those one step, just that one step, that next step ahead, you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. You don't have to have it all figured out. But if you are one step ahead of somebody else, you can help somebody else while you're still walking your journey. You do matter. Your story matters. And it'd be my privilege to help you walk in that even more. Ladies and gentlemen, SueBowles.com. Be sure to reach out if you need somebody to talk to. She believes in you and so do I. And if you know of anybody that she needs to talk to. 
Make sure you follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible so we can help each other out one step at a time. Sue, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. I enjoyed it. Thank you. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.